0: American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. The Depression shook the belief of the capitalist faithful. By the end of the 1920s, people were calling it a new era. Uh, It was going to be a time of unbounded prosperity. Wages would rise forever. Stocks would always go up. Cars would only get faster. And yet, with the Great Depression, everything had fallen apart. Hoover hadn't fixed the economy. And so when FDR came into the presidency, people were hopeful that he would be able to fix it. In his inaugural address, FDR told the American people that the crisis of capitalism, the crisis of the Great Depression, was both unprecedented and within the ability of Americans to fix it. It was not, he said, a plague of locusts sent by an angry god, but the result of the stubbornness and incompetence of the rulers of the exchange of mankind's goods. The Depression was a result of the choices that people had made over their financial system and the economy as a whole. Faith in bankers and capitalist institutions in general was slim, and so as FDR explored options for writing the economy. He was, of course, elected on a platform of balanced budgets, which he very quickly went away from. He explored many options. Now, Hoover had been a man of principle, a man who believed in reasoning from first principles, whether or not those principles were right in describing the world. FDR's genius, perhaps, was in fact in his lack of genius. His ability to create new policies, the policies we call the New Deal, came out of an assumption that there were many different ways to right the economy. And so the New Deal, as we conventionally remember it, is one of direct government spending, building stadiums, clearing brush, digging holes, and filling them again. And certainly, this is one important part of the New Deal, not the digging holes, but the building of buildings. But there's another New Deal, another New Deal that focused less on directly spending government money and more on reorienting the process of capitalist investment. And I think this actually matters more, because it's out of these methods, methods that we often don't hear as much about, that many of the great post-war achievements of American capitalism were realized. You get suburbia. You get the aerospace industry. You get the electronics industry. In fact, you get most of the signature features of post-war capitalism coming out of the state policies of the 1930s. And so as we think about the New Deal, it's not simply in terms of priming the pump, of restoring consumption to the economy. It is also about building a new pump, building a new place to invest capital. After, during the 1930s and especially after the 1940s. FDR was denounced on both the left and the right as inconsistent. But yet, as he told people, he believed the economy was a condition and not a theory. That they were confronting something that was unprecedented. And so on the left, he was seen as insufficiently radical, not transitioning the, comp- the, the country from capitalism to socialism. And on the right, he was denounced as a fascist for not trusting in markets to correct themselves. And so through the 1930s, he steers a course that is inconsistent, multitudinous, but always focused on practical results. As late as 1935, 90% of rural Americans had no electricity. What did this mean? It meant that they couldn't buy electrical goods. It meant that their farms couldn't use electrical machines. It meant, fundamentally, that they were left out of modern society. Now, there was one program in the the New Deal called the Tennessee Valley Authority that built a large dam and provided power for large segments of the southeastern United States. But there was another program that didn't rely on direct government spending called the Rural Electrification Administration, or REA. And what's amazing about the REA is that it set up se- sessions of locally controlled cooperatives to bring electrical power to rural America. Now think about how exciting this would be. If you were in a town driving in your car, all around you are bright lights. There's a movie theater, there's diners, there's everything else. And as soon as you hit the boundary of that town, the lights went out, suddenly. There's only darkness. These rural cooperatives literally brought light to the darkness. And along that, they also brought the ability to buy all of these electrical goods of washing machines and other kinds of both household and agricultural implements, bringing up the productivity of American farmers, as well as the consuming power of the American farming household. And these cooperatives relied on government loans that came ultimately out of banks, the government acting as an intermediate. But these were not direct spending. These were things that were self-sustaining. And through this process, nearly all rural Americans within 10 years received electricity, allowing them to buy the goods made by American workers and to increase their production. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American capitalism a history with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist or go to facebook.com slash American capitalism MOOC this podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University